Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This is the We Are Going Up podcast. We've got the Football League covered. Hello and welcome. It is episode 117 of We Are Going Up. Thank you very much for downloading, especially if you're a brand new listener. Where the hell have you been for the past two and a half years? I'm Mark Crossy. Let me introduce a man who hasn't been with us for quite a while. I think he's been trapped in deepest, darkest Berkshire by all the floods in the last few weeks. It is a welcome return to the show for Mr. Adam Williams. How you doing, mate? I'm all right. Um, put, my, uh, put my wellies and my waders away for a couple of days and, yeah, thankfully back to watching... And talking about football, which is something I'm a little bit more accustomed to, it has to be said. OK, quick question for you, Adam. What were you up to last night? Uh, I was at home watching the BAFTAs with my uh, good lady wife, actually. OK, and uh, David Cameron Walker is here. Hello, by the way. Hello. Hello. Uh, what were you doing last night, Dave? I finally made it. You I did was, make it. I was, I was watching Prince. Uh, where was it at? Was it, uh, it was Coco? Was it? Coco in Camden. Uh, and it was bloody marvellous. <laughs> <laughs> um, how, how much did you have to pay in the end? Um, I mean, it was absolutely worth it because it's the best gig I've ever seen by some distance. But it was 70 quid. So fine, I paid it. But all the other ones, and look, he's at Ronnie Scott's tonight. And it's going to be 35 quid. <laughs> played Shepherd's Bush last week, it was a tenner. <laughs> Well, I'm glad you uh, you finally managed to get to see him anyway. Um, you had a busy weekend as well, didn't you? Because uh, I had an interesting voicemail from you on uh, Saturday night. <laughs> completely in the style uh, of Sven-Goran Eriksson. I remember this today. It's like a three-minute voicemail, in just completely in the style of Sven-Goran Eriksson. Giving you a call-up to the squad, wasn't it? I, I, a lot of it was incomprehensible. Wherever you were, you were very, very loud. Well, I seem to remember that I was telling you that Chris Powell got injured and I needed <laughs> you at left-back. <laughs> was, there, was there alcohol involved? I do a job there at this time. <laughs> I do a job. Because yeah, I did sort of transition into um, Fabio Capello. Yeah, Fabio did through. get a mention at the end. <laughs> With me, I've got Fabio Capello. Um, anyway, right, uh, later in the show, we're going to be reflecting on another fantastic weekend of action in the Football League. Some superb goals, in particular, Alan Judge and Gareth McCleary take a bow. Uh, there's also the state of play to analyse in uh, all three divisions and some brilliant FA Cup quarterfinals to look forward to, including potentially a Steel City derby at Bramall Lane Sheffield United will play either Sheffield Wednesday or Charlton Athletic in the last eight after coming back to beat Nottingham Forest 3-1 on Sunday thanks to two late goals by Chris Porter later we'll speak to Blaze blogger Ian Parks who writes for both our site and also Team Talks Fan Zone he was there on Sunday we will ask him which would he rather have FA Cup glory or League One survival I also before we go any further should remind you that thanks to our friends at Audible you can still download a free audiobook of your choice uh, up to 100,000 to a pick from Audible .co.uk slash going up and uh, rather appropriately this week there's one which you uh, might want to listen to which I actually downloaded yesterday 
Just search for Sporting Legends Tom Finney on there. It is a half-hour conversation recorded in 1999 between Sir Tom Finney and another sporting legend who sadly passed away recently, Cliff Morgan. Uh, well worth listening to. He's just a lovely man, Tom Finney. It's well worth getting. Audible.co.uk slash going up uh, to take advantage of that offer. It is the headline story of the week then, the extremely sad news that Sir Tom Finney, an absolute giant of a figure in English football, sadly passed away on Friday, aged 91. He played his entire career at one club, Preston North End, resisting the temptation to move away even after receiving widespread recognition on the international stage where he made 76 caps and scored 30 goals for England and played in three World Cups. He's regarded as one of the greatest players this country and the Football League has ever produced. I'm delighted to say that online right now to tell us a bit more about his career and his time at his beloved Preston North End is the club historian and Preston author Ian Rigby. Ian is also secretary of the Preston North End Former Players Association. He's been watching the club for a hell of a long time and he was there in the crowd for an emotional day at Deepdale on Saturday, that one all draw with Leighton Orient. Ian, thank you very much for coming on the show. I imagine you must be very proud to be a Preston fan and someone associated with a club after a weekend like that because the response was absolutely phenomenal. Very proud. Uh, what made it even more proud it was the national coverage. His unfortunate death has uh, produced, you know, for all these newspapers and all the uh, the teams to wear black armbands and have minute silence across the um, premiership. It's great. And can I get a bit of background on your time as a fan? I mean, did you see him play or did you start going to Deepdale just after he retired? I didn't see him play. My, um, my first uh, trips to Deepdale was the 1963-4 season when Preston were doing well in the old second division and they just missed out on promotion and they also got to the FA Cup final. So I just missed him by three years. You've obviously met him quite a lot, though, working with the club. How did you find him? Was he as much of a gentleman as everyone says he was? He was more than a gentleman, yes. To say gentleman is right, but he was also a gentleman. You know, you, you wouldn't find an aggressive bone in his body. Apparently, when he was playing, he got so much stick from the full-backs marking him, <laughs> come off battered and bruised and... There's uh, good pictures of him with two black eyes, blood on bed and everything. But uh, they tell me he never retaliated, and it's a well-known fact that he was never booked either. Ian, uh, so Tom Finney is, is a name that obviously is, has been and will forever be familiar to all, to all football fans, you know, of all generations. But for, for, for those of us in the younger generation, you know, we don't really have any concept of what he was actually like as a player. I only just know of him, of, of the legend, if you like. Uh, what, what was he actually like in terms of a player on the pitch? And what was his strength? What was his weaknesses? Kind of, what, what, was, his, what was he really known for in his day? When, you, when you're a historian, you start looking back at different headlines and things, and you see all the main headlines in the national papers. Uh, it's not just the local papers where they always build them, their own players up with the national ones. They always gave him good names, like he was a perfect professional, he was, he was the ultimate team player, he was a phantom winger. He became the perfect role model for any young player. He had skill, he had pace, he had flair. Uh, he had a good work ethic as well. He was strong on the ball and strong off the ball. His attributes were that he could use both feet, and when he went centre-forward later in his career, he was an excellent header of the ball. Uh, the, the strange thing was with Finney, or Sir Tom, I should say, he went back to work as a plumber after mm. training. They didn't have iPods and video games in <laughs> them days. 
And um, I don't know if you can shed any light on this story, but I um, I heard uh, this over the weekend that uh, when he was playing for England uh, in the World Cup, I think it would have been uh, in 1958, I think, uh, they were playing Russia and England yeah. were losing 2-1 and they were given a penalty late in the game. And the, he did. And the Russia goalkeeper was Lev Yashin. Yes, he was uh, the best goalkeeper in the world and, uh, at that time. Yeah, and uh, Tom Finney had heard that Yashin uh, studied where players put yes. their penalties. And Finney usually took his penalties for England left-footed. And he took it with his right foot. And he took it with his right foot. But he scored. That's confidence, isn't it? Absolutely incredible. He was human, though. He once missed two penalties in a game against Leicester. And in his own admission, he had a stinker in the 1954 FA Cup final at Wembley. So he was human. He wasn't, uh, you know, he wasn't a robot or anything. Ian, I saw um, a comparison in one of the papers over the weekend uh, between Sir Tom Finney and, and Wayne Rooney in terms of what Wayne Rooney earns as a weekly salary now, what Sir Tom earned back in back in the 40s and 50s when he was playing, and all sorts of different comparisons, really just showing you know how much. You know, society and football in general has come on since the days Sir Tom was playing. But one thing that just stood out to me in that piece, you've got all this stuff about Wayne Rooney, all the you know, about to sign a three hundred thousand pound a week contract. He's been playing yes. football since he was sixteen. That's all he knows. Tom Finney was in the war. He fought <laughs> yes. in the yeah. in the Second World War, and and, and then still came back and, and had a fantastically successful football career. I mean, that just as a concept itself, just so alien to what we're used to today. I mean, it must have really had an effect on him as a person. It must have done, but uh, Tom was one of these. He never liked talking about his own personal achievements and things. He's so modest. Um, he made his debut for Preston during the war, actually, at Liverpool in a wartime game. And in them days, they found out that he was on 10 shilling a game, <laughs> which was like 50 pence nowadays. And Preston won the regional league that year and the War Cup as well. So they did the double that year. During the war, he uh, I think he went off to Egypt and uh, yeah. Italy as well. And uh, he actually took part in exhibition games to entertain the troops, did, didn't yes. he? So that kept him sort of playing football during uh, the period of the war, so that when it, when it ended, he could come straight back in and straight to the first team at Preston. Yeah, he was like 24 by the time he made his actual league debut, which is quite old. So he missed maybe six years of a league career. And like you say, what's your background? Oh, I used to be in the army for uh, so many years before I started football. You know, it's uh, incredible what he had to put up with fighting in the in the desert, like. And uh, I know he did play a lot of football over there, but he did see action as well. Tell us a bit about um, the role that Sir Tom had in Preston and indeed the football club once his playing career actually finished. I mean, that wasn't the end of his association with the club, as we well know. Just just give us an idea of um, what his involvement was. Well, Tom would never interfere with anything, for a start. You know, he was asked to be president, which he gladly accepted. And uh, he relished that role, because it's his club. He was a Preston fan before he started playing, and he was a Preston fan after his career finished. Um he was always involved if, like, young up-and-coming managers like David Moyes wanted some words of advice, he would wait for him to come to him. He would never go and offer advice, you know what I mean? He was never mm. pushing anything like that. He would always wait. And if he wasn't asked, he wouldn't get involved. But he was always very approachable. Very approachable. Uh, when we started the former Players Association back in '98. I went to Tom and asked him his, his thoughts on it and he thought it was a very good idea and we're still going today. 
with 220 two members, I think. Fantastic. And um, I've, this story's been mentioned quite a bit in some of the papers uh, over the weekend, so people might have heard of it. But uh, Ian, if you could just uh, explain a bit more about this potential opportunity for him to move, because obviously he was a Preston player his whole career, yeah. um, but he played for England um, against Italy in Florence in 1952. Yeah. And um, he was approached by someone from Palermo offering right. him a contract. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, I believe he was offered uh, a whopping signing on fee. I think it was about £10,000. Well, when you're on, I think he would have been on about £12 a week then, because he never earned more than £20 playing football, never. So that kind of money was, you know, massive. He was offered a house, well, a villa, car, flights over from Italy for the family, everything. But he went to see the chairman, who just said, if you're not going to play for us, Tom, you're not going to play for anybody. Because in them days, the clubs ruled the players. Nowadays, it seems the other way around. The players of the, the, the upper hand. You know, contracts mean nothing nowadays, but in them days, they did. So that was the end of it. Uh, Just knuckled down and got on with it. And of course, as Mark mentioned, he stayed at Preston his whole career, uh, revered as, as one of the greatest footballers England have ever produced. But I, I guess the, the sad thing about it really is that he never actually won a major trophy. No, we we won the same division championship and that were it, really. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I think uh, he enjoyed his football. He enjoyed playing for his hometown team. And the fact was that he was uh, building his uh, business up at the same time in Preston. So he was famously the Preston plumber? He was the famous Preston plumber, yeah. You know, I don't know whether whether you'll be able to answer this, but as you said, you've, you've met... Well, you, you met Tom uh, a lot and spent some time with him during your, your role as historian at the club. As we've just you know talked already in this interview, he has seen such a change from when he was a, a player back in, back in the 40s, 50s and 60s to you know been involved with the club all the way right up to the present day, yeah. um, you know, 60, 60 odd years later. What, what was his sort of view on, on modern day football? Uh, as it as it stands today, have having you know witnessed such a change in, in his lifetime. Do you know what his thoughts were on the modern game? Um, I don't actually know his thoughts on it, but like I say, he always kept his himself to himself in things like that. He never he never revealed how he thought. But um, if he was playing now on the pitches we play on, <laughs> with the balls we play with, you, one wonders, you know, how good he would be. Well, because they were like mud heaps in them days. Well, that's a staggering thing. And you think about yeah. the weight of the ball and the surfaces that he was playing on and the fact he was getting uh, lumps kicked out of him, as you said earlier. Yeah. And he never got a yellow card once. No. Even when he retired, he was uninvited with requests to play in testimonials. Every other week, somebody wanted him to play in their testimonial. Um, when he was retired, the FA uh, asked him to be player manager of the FA squad that went to New Zealand and Singapore and Hong Kong and America. And he took that that role on and he ended up scoring 13 goals on that tour. And this is after he's retired, <laughs> you know. And um, just talking about his career with England, he played, uh, I think it was 70-odd games, scored 30 goals. So that's pretty much one in two, which is yeah. by, you know, any era of football is a great record. And I think someone once put it to him that, oh, you, you scored as many goals for England as Alan Shearer did. And he quite rightly pointed out that Alan Shearer was a striker yeah. <laughs> and he played on the wing. But he actually played in five different positions, I've read. No, he played in three different positions for England and scored on his debut in each position. But he played in five different forward positions for Preston. 
and scored on his debut in each position, which is a phenomenal record. Yeah, but when he when he scored his 30 goals, the day he scored his 30th, that was the highest score for an England player at that time. So he, he held the record for a while till uh, Nat Lofthouse equal it. I heard a fascinating story over the weekend about Sir Tom, which came via um, Bobby Robson when he was making his yeah. England debut um, in the 50s. And uh, Sir Tom sort of looked over in the in the room before the game in the pre-match meal that the team were having and uh, he noticed that Sir Bobby was um, was looking a little bit nervous. So he wandered over to him and he said, look, don't, don't worry, son. You know, you may be playing against the best footballers in all of France later on this afternoon, but you'll also be playing with the best footballers in all of England. So if you're not feeling quite up for it at the start, just give the ball to me and I'll hold it for 10 <laughs> minutes and I'll let, I'll let you get your confidence back. Did that did that sort of encapsulate the, the way that Sir Tom thought? I wouldn't have thought that was true. <laughs> uh, Tom never bragged about his career, even, even after, you know. Uh, we, we've had plenty of uh, one-to-one chats and you ask him who his favourite players were He'd talk about Wolf Mannion and people like that. And his uh, his own idol was Alec James, who was obviously at Preston at the time, before he went on to greater things with Arsenal. But, uh, yeah, even heroes have heroes, don't they? <laughs> they do. And uh, just to uh, sort of give a bit more background, he uh, retired uh, as a player in 1960. That season, Preston averaged 15,000 at Deepdale. Uh, his last game was against Luton, and there was 27,000 people there. Yeah. Um, have you ever sort of uh, heard stories from that day I spoke to people who were there that day that must have been quite some atmosphere it would have been a similar atmosphere that was on Saturday but on a bigger on a bigger scale when you see the photographs have you seen the one where he's taking a corner with all the children yeah 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 you know that sums it up you know everybody wanted to be there and they all sang old Lang Syne to him as well yeah around the centre circle the old old elm <laughs> can you imagine that happening now no <laughs> just wouldn't would it incredible no and um I mean, is it any coincidence? You're obviously the the club historian. You followed them pretty much ever since, as you said, since I think '64. Um, Preston have never returned to the top flight. They were relegated the year after um, he uh, were, yeah. he retired. And uh, is it a source of frustration that if you look at a lot of the clubs in the northwest, the the teams around you, Blackburn, Burnley, Blackpool, Wigan, yeah, they've all had a double. Since they've all had they? a double, haven't they? But yeah. Preston have never had a double. No, we were unlucky when we went to the playoffs uh, when we got beat with Bolton. And Moisey was there, and Sam Allardyce was there as well on the other side. Uh, we we seemed to freeze. We froze when uh, we played West Ham in the playoffs. It's a shame, but our, our day will come. <laughs> and I suppose it would be a fitting, you know, end to this season, given uh, Sir Tom Finney's passing. That uh, if Simon Grayson and the current Preston team were able to get up out of League One and, and get back into the Championship, and then you know start edging towards maybe one day getting back into the top flight. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure that will happen. Tom always had uh, uh, faith in the team. Money rules nowadays, don't they? We shall see what happens. Uh, for a winger, Tom Finney was a great centre forward. I think that's a great line. That one. <laughs> and um, one more question, just before we uh, before we let you go, uh, Ian. Um, it's often said that no one player is bigger than any individual club. Um, you hear that quite a lot when a big player leaves a, yes. a team in the Premier League. In this instance, his 
legacy is so huge. I mean, obviously, if you go near the ground, they've got the road named after him. There's a stand named after him. There's a statue of him outside. The, be- the best statue as well. I yeah, think, around you know, an amazing statue, yeah. which obviously was a bit of a shrine at the weekend. Yeah, is he? You know, is he sort of bigger than Preston? I mean, his legacy so big. Is that one of the rare examples where perhaps he is bigger than the club? Uh, he wouldn't have said so. But, uh, <laughs> from the fans' point of view, I think it is. Because it uh, wasn't just the football club, was it? It was the whole city. Yes, yes. Um, see, it was patron of many charities in Preston, you know, including the local baby beat appeal, everything, you know, from youngsters to um, sporting ones to aged ones. You know, he always had his... Um, Charity is what he always looked to. And he would never charge uh, for appearances. He never charged for autographs. And he was always there to give advice. He was, he was a grand fella, not just a grand footballer. And shall we, uh, shall we finish with this quote? This is uh, from uh, Bill Shankly. Uh, he says, Tom Finney would have been great in any team, in any match and in any age, even if he'd been wearing an overcoat. Yeah, I've heard that one. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think sums it up. Uh, Ian, thank you very much for coming on and speaking to us. Great yeah, to talk no to you. Problem. We appreciate it. That is uh, Ian Rigby, uh, who is Secretary of the Preston North End, former Players Association and club historian. Let's hope they can uh, get that promotion and honour his memory that way. Next, we are going to go uh, to the wrong side of the Pennines. We are swapping Lancashire for Yorkshire and we're off to Bramall Lane So at about 4 o'clock on Sunday afternoon Sheffield United who were 22nd in League 1 are 1-0 down at home to Nottingham Forest in the FA Cup and this is a Forest side remember who are 5th in the Championship and on a run of 16 games without defeat a run which stretches all the way back to November the 29th last year an hour later at 5 o'clock as so often happens in the FA Cup all reasonable logic has been turned on its head and the Blades have already knocked out Aston Villa and Fulham uh, on this cup runner into the last day and the draw has been pretty favourable too now, one game away from Wembley and a semi-final to get there they'll have to win at home against either Charlton or as the football gods will no doubt ensure it'll be Sheffield Wednesday all this while trying to stave off relegation uh, let's get a fan's perspective on it and speak to Ian Parks who blogs on the blades for both Team Talks Fan Zone and our very own site weareguingup.co.uk thank you very much for coming on the show uh, Ian that must have been some atmosphere on Sunday over 25,000 fans at Bramall Lane how proud were you of the players and that come back in the second half incredibly proud yeah it was a great day and um, the cup games have been great experiences all season really and it sort of uh, rolls back the years a little bit to the United of old from when I've been coming up supporting United through the Championship and even the Premier League where we had those sort of crowds weekly and we had we've had several FA Cup semi-finals and playoffs and all that sort of stuff so yeah it was really good and it was so it was nice to have the sort of atmosphere we were used to a few years ago actually and take our minds off how things have been in the league this season to be honest and do you think you deserve to win? Yeah, I think we probably did just about. Um, it was one of those games that I think had it gone sort of 2-1 either way, I don't think anyone could have complained too much. But I think the spirit we showed, um, particularly in the second half after obviously we were 1-0 down, and we could have quite easily crumbled against a very, very good Forest side. Um, I think we probably did deserve it in the end, I think, for the way they played and I think the heart they showed, really. Is it not a bit disappointing that the guys haven't quite been able to replicate the, the form that you've shown in the Cup this season in the league? 
very disappointing. Um, yeah, I mean, from the start of the season, I think a lot of United fans probably had fairly reasonable expectations for the season in comparison to the last couple of years that it might be a bit of a transition, but I don't think anybody really saw this coming uh, under David Weir and then when Nigel Clough took over. Um, it seems to be in the cup that I don't think it's a case that the players are more up for it. I think playing against better teams and allowing us to play sort of counter-attacking football seems to suit us. Um, whereas against smaller sides who set out to defend, we seem to lose track of what we're supposed to be doing and it all just seems to be a little bit wrong at the moment. It's interesting, looking at the performances that the team has been able to produce in, in the Cup and beating two Premier League sides, uh, a side in Nottingham Forest who were knocking on the door of the Premier League and dismantled West Ham in, in the previous rounds. You know, So no mean feat at all. And yet really struggling in the league, as Adam said, but there are there are some good players in, in this team, as as has been shown in in the cup games. You know, you've got people, Joseph Baxter's got top level experience, very highly thought of when he was at Everton. Uh, you've got players like Stephen McGinn, who, who used to be at Watford, who uh, showed real potential when he was there, come back from injury. Connor Cody's on loan from Liverpool, England under twenty international. John Brayford signed for Premier League Cardiff City in the summer, and he's now playing. Uh, for Sheffield United, so there are there are players there with some real top level experience and better than a re- League One relegation battle, you'd think. Yeah, I, I totally agree, um, and that's what's been hard to fathom really as the season's gone on. Um, it seems to be a few sort of contributory factors over the last few months as to why it has gone wrong. Uh, I mean, like obviously you alluded to people like John Brace who've come in recently, and I think him and Stefan Scoogle who both signed in the, uh, a few weeks back look to be fairly inspired piece of business, especially probably Scoogle as he's on a, a long-term deal and a young lad and he's the sort of player we haven't been missing. I think throughout the season we've been a little bit negative at times. I think that's probably down to both managers, Nigel Clough and David Weir and the players to an extent. And I just seem to think we've got into this rut and it's been hard to get out of. And at times, I think we've gone into certain games maybe thinking we were going to win because of who we are and the players we've got. And it's not really turned out that way, but we have clearly got the talent and the ability in the team to turn it round. And in the cup games, we've obviously shown that. And in, in certain league games, we have the crew game aside, which was a, a blip where we got beaten 3-0 at Gresty Road. It, we've not done too badly recently and these few new signings do seem to have given us a bit more, bit more impetus, but we still... We still seem to lack a little bit both at the top end of the pitch in terms of a goal scorer, and we still seem to lack a little bit, I think, currently at the back, probably more at the centre-half position. But, um, yeah, we seem to turn the corner, but it's whether we can do it in time, really. Well, one thing we've, we've said on this show for a couple of years now since uh, since Chad Evans left is that you've, you've not replaced his goals. Chris Porter has struggled for goals, but he's on a little run in the FA Cup now, isn't he? Because he scored in the, the game at home against Fulham, and then he comes on with four minutes to go, and so he manages to score twice. Yeah, he is. He is. He's, he's a difficult one with Chris Porter because he's never going to be an out-and-out goal scorer and he's never going to get you 15, 20 goals a season. And I suppose his ability is limited at times, but what you do get from him is he will give you 100%. He will hold the ball up when you need him to and he'll do a lot of the ugly stuff that a lot of the other players don't want. And I think he probably deserved what, what he got yesterday, even though he'd not been on the pitch very long. I think the way he's portrayed himself and how professionally appears to have been over the last six months or so uh, since Nigel Clough came in, then he's... I think he probably deserved yesterday. But yeah, unfortunately, he doesn't seem to be able to get that goal-scoring touch in the league, but then he's not on his own with that one, really, as you mentioned. It, it, does, it uh, does make me laugh when um, when players like see Chris, you Chris Porter there. are described as, you know, he won't score your goals, but he will give you 100%, <laughs> which is fair enough, and he may well do that, and, and credit to him for doing so. But tell you who else gives you 100%, as well as scoring, like Luis Suarez. It's not like these players put in 50%. You know, there are a lot yeah. of hard-working players who well, are actually good at scoring goals I as well. I think we struggle to get into Bramall Lane, that's the problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 
<laughs> it's a fair point. Um, let's talk a bit about uh, about Nigel Clough because um, I'm not saying that he inherited Barcelona from from David Weir, but it hasn't quite gone as well, perhaps, as you would have expected since he's come in. You're still in the relegation zone. I know that you've got uh, three games in hand because of this cup run, which has meant that you've not played, uh, obviously, a few of those matches and the weather's not helped. Um, what have you made of the... I mean, has there been an improvement under Clough, do you think? Do you feel that the team is at a better level now than it was earlier in the season? Um, difficult. I'd have said yes, probably, overall. I think the main, or my main issue personally with, with Clough has been, especially at the start, is he had a tendency to be a little bit negative and basically played not to lose rather than playing to win, which against certain sides I can understand, but in home games against Gillingham and Oldham and people like that, it, the games where we really should be trying to win and from seeing the sort of standard of the opposition, the games we could have won, I think, if we'd gone for it a little bit more. Um, but I do overall think we are in a better position than we were under David Weir. It, it just seems to lack direction under Weir and I don't really think he knew what he'd let himself in for and the players didn't seem to fit into the system he wanted to play and it was all just a little bit all over the place I think whereas Clough does seem to have brought a little bit more normality and you can see in the way they play there is more going on there is a lot more to offer from the players um, I just think he's made a few a few negative decisions that haven't helped us and then I think certain players maybe haven't played up to their potential um, but then in recent weeks we do seem to have been playing a little bit better and maybe the cup run has helped and obviously you mentioned the games in hand we've got I mean we've got to play the likes of Brentford and Peterborough in those games in hand so they're by no means a shoe in <laughs> so that's, that's one thing I would obviously rather have the points on the board but obviously it, is, it does look better with the games in hand than if we were sat where we are without the games in hand in all fairness. You mentioned it a bit earlier on that some of the teams in this division haven't quite allowed yourselves to play the counter-attacking method that um, you have done in the Cup. How much then is it going to be important for, I suppose, uh, Nigel Clough to find a plan B in the remaining games of the season to ensure you stay up? That's exactly what we need. Um, there are a lot of games where we do seem a little bit one-dimensional. Um, at times it seems if we get if we get a good start we don't seem to be too bad especially at home we've had certain games especially away from home against lots of Warsaw not County where we've taken the lead and then we've thrown it away um, which again seems to come back a little bit I think to a bit of negativity I mean for example, the game at Walsall, for 20 minutes we were the better side, took the lead, and then we sat back for the remainder of the game and just allowed them to play, and inevitably we lost the game. So we do seem to lack a little bit of a plan B, and I think what we do lack at times is a couple of players to sort of step up to the plate and show a bit of a bit of bottle, I suppose, and demand the ball and want the ball when things maybe aren't going so well. And we just seem to lack that little bit of maybe confidence is the issue with some of them, I'm not sure, but we seem to lack a few leaders, I think. And obviously the, the quarterfinal draw was made quite bizarrely during the first half of the game. And Nigel Clough's made quite a thing in the post-match of saying that the fact that they were drawn against potentially local rival Sheffield Wednesday really helped them in the half-time team talk to push them on and give them motivation to win the game in the second half. So you did that. Do the fans want to face Sheffield Wednesday in, in such a, a big game? Or would they rather maybe perhaps play Charlton and think that perhaps we, that might give us a bit more of a chance of, of going through? Or do you want the big occasion, the Steel City derby in the quarterfinals of the FA Cup? I think if you ask most fans, it's probably quite split. Personally, as much as the derby occasions are great for the city and the great atmosphere and there'd be a full house and all the rest of it, um, personally, I hate derby days because <laughs> the nerves and if you do lose, obviously everything you get from friends and family and colleagues and all that sort of stuff. And this is to get to but, Wembley as well. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I mean, personally, from my own personal point of view, I'd rather play Charlton. As I think we've got a better chance of... Um, well, so you get less caught up in it, so I'd rather play them. And I think we've got... I suppose, yeah, better chance of reaching Wembley in that case. Not because I think Wednesday are a better team, but there's a lot that come with it and comes with the game and everything else. And personally, I'd rather 
kind you've of got, you've, you know, you've, got to, you've got to be brave. You've got to take them on. Can I um, want to win? Can I say? I don't know if you uh, you saw this uh, yesterday, Ian, but um, on Twitter, I think it was uh, Sheffield Wednesday's Twitter account after the full time whistle. Uh, Bramwell Lane uh, tweeted that the Owls. I think they did it by accident. The Owls will play. Um, Sheffield United in the FA Cup on this specific day and Charlton Athletics Twitter replied to it below and said dot at SWFC uh, I won't be so sure about that lads which I did enjoy so um, <laughs> I think it does seem to be a bit of a foregone conclusion sort of creeping out of um, Hills where I think with this thing. it does seem to come from there and that they just think they're going to beat Charlton and they're going to play us but obviously I'm sure it won't be that easy um, but then I suppose the Wednesday players and fans and what have you do have a a bigger but incentive than Charlton to whoever you get sense. though whoever you get you haven't got Manchester City you haven't got Arsenal you haven't got Everton I mean it's a great chance to get to Wembley it is it's a fantastic opportunity to get to Wembley and it's one that at the start of the season I think if you'd said we'd be second from bottom in, in the quarterfinal cup most people wouldn't have believed you for a start and secondly I think most people would probably give up the quarterfinal of the cup to be higher up in the league but Potentially, if we could play Wednesday, beat Wednesday and get to Wembley, there isn't really much better feeling than that, providing <laughs> we do stay in the league, obviously. Uh, of course, um, you've played Wednesday as well, haven't you, at Wembley in a semi-final in the early 90s? Were, were you at that yeah, game? we don't talk about that. <laughs> talk about I, that. I remember Alan Cork had a fantastic beard, though, in that game. He did, yeah. He wouldn't, wouldn't shave it off until the end of the cup. Yeah. yeah, I was there. I, was, um, I wasn't very old at the time. I was eight or something at the time. But yeah, I was there. Um, yeah, it was one of those games at Wembley that Wednesday was a much better side on the day. They've had him in for Alan Kelly. They could have beaten us by three or four. And correct me if I'm wrong, game, but um, your last couple of trips to Wembley are ones that you want to get rid of from the mind because you had the, the penalty shootout against Huddersfield and also the, the Burnley playoff final as well. Yeah, we did. I mean, unfortunately, United are very much a nearly team when it comes to the big occasions. We've been, I mean, in my lifetime, we've had semi-finals against Wednesday, Arsenal, Newcastle. We've had the playoff finals at Wembley and at uh, the Millennium Stadium and we've lost them all. <laughs> uh, so we, we just seem to be at that stage where we, we just can't get over that final hurdle. But yeah, I mean, the Burnley game, the Huddersfield game were, were not good memories. I think the Huddersfield one was possibly harder to take given that we were, we were comfortably leading the penalty shootout to then throw it away. The Burnley one, I'd travelled all the way from Thailand a few days before to make that to watch us miserably lose one nil to Burnley. So that wasn't great from a personal point of view. But um, yeah, not the fondest of memories watching United at Wembley, but it, obviously it'd be a great day. And if you get there and you draw someone like a Man City or an Arsenal, obviously you expect to probably get thumped, but it'd be, it'd be a good day out and you can't ask for much more than that, really. And I suppose the inevitable question has to be, would you, and, and, and speaking on behalf of you can of the Sheffield United fans... <laughs> Uh, take winning the FA Cup at Wembley, but also being relegated to the bottom tier of English football in the same season. It's a difficult one, that. <laughs> um, no, I don't think I would actually. I don't. I just the thought of us going back to fourth division football that we've last. I mean, last time we were in the fourth division was back in the eighties, and so the club of our size and what we're expected to do as a, a club and what the fans expect. Gig Lane's not too division. bad, mate. It's fine. Have <laughs> <laughs> you been in Europa League? Have you been? A lot of times, um, yeah. yeah. I just don't fancy League 2 if I'm perfectly, if I'm perfectly honest and I don't get me wrong it's great in FA Cup and, uh, You do fancy winning the FA Cup though surely Oh yeah of course but if it was at the cost of going down then personally I wouldn't I, I mean, I'm, the division. I completely understand the, the sort of realistic pragmatic point of view that you're giving and I'm sure many fans you know certainly I think the people at the club you know Nigel Clough and the team at the club would certainly be of the same opinion but just just watching the highlights from the weekend and you saw how much joy and euphoria there was at the end of the game with some of the fans running on the pitch and this is by far at that point the best moment of the season it could get even better 
you know, we, we spoke to a lot of Bradford fans on the show last year who had such an amazing time getting to the, you know, to the cup final and the League Cup. Yeah, they got promoted in the end, but there are Birmingham fans who won the, the League Cup a few years ago but went on to be relegated. Wigan fans last season now in the Championship. I, I just think that those moments are so few and far between in football that if you managed even to get to the semi-final and just have that moment of being, you know, the centre of attention and being glorious at Wembley, it's worth it just for a season in League Two or something. You'll, you will come back in a few years' time. It's worth having a few years of disappointment for that moment that you'll remember for the rest of your life. Has he taught you into it? No. <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong, it'd be an amazing event and getting to Wembley, especially the final. If obviously if we won it, which I mean, hypothetically, but I mean, I can't see that happening. But if it did, yeah, don't get me wrong, it's something you wouldn't forget for the rest of your life. But then on a long-term perspective, the sort of League Two football, maybe for more than a year, is uncomprehensible, incomprehensible. I don't, do not fancy that whatsoever. And I think it's one of those, if, if we manage to stay up, I think next season, I don't think we'll be anywhere near the position we are in with the players we've got and the investment we've had um, through the summer that should hopefully see us bring in some better players next season. You'll have a bit, you'll have a bit more money as well now, won't you, with the cup run? Mm, that's true. Yeah, I think so. We've made a lot of money out of, well, yeah, TV, replays, the job lot sort of thing. So, yeah, it has stood in good stead with that, providing it doesn't have a detrimental effect on our relegation battle. Well, t- two big games this week. You've got Gillingham away on Wednesday and Bristol City at home on Saturday. Those are huge two teams uh, who are in the uh, the bottom half with you. Yeah, massive games, massive games, especially the Bristol game with where they are. And I mean, they're a bit like United. I'm from the outside looking in, it's hard to believe they're where they are and they haven't pushed on. And well, they won at Orient, didn't they? They won at Orient in midweek last week, so they have shown a little bit of form. Yeah, that's it. I think a bit like United, they seem to a strange side, seem to pick up some good uh, results and then seem to throw a few away, like Tramier at the weekend when they managed to throw that away and only get a point out of that game. And it seems to look a bit like it does for United that they for whatever reason, they just can't seem to get out of there. And a lot of teams around us are winning. And I think because there are so many teams involved, it's harder to get out. Um, but yeah, these are, these are two huge games. And for the future of the club long term, are obviously probably bigger than the Forest game, as much as maybe some fans wouldn't want to admit that. <laughs> I think they are huge games. Thanks for coming on, Ian. Uh, best of luck no for the quarterfinal. Maybe we'll catch up with you again if you do manage to uh, to make it to Wembley. Cheers, yeah, mate. Really, Take if, we the, if we win the FA Cup, you can let me know. <laughs> <laughs> That's Ian Parks, uh, Sheffield United blogger for our website, wearegoingup.co.uk and Team Talks fan zone as well uh, next then on the show let's do my club the bit of the show as I'm sure you uh, you know by now where we give Football League fans 125 seconds to tell us all about their side all to celebrate the 125th anniversary of the Football League and today it's the turn of Blackburn Rovers this is We Are Going Up my club in 125 seconds hello I'm Mike Delat and my club are Blackburn Rovers so Mike do you remember your first ever trip to Ewood Park I'll be honest it would be difficult not I, uh, I actually started being a, a Rovers fan in the early 90s, which um, I'm constantly reminded of as uh, some form of glory hunting uh, <laughs> sort of uh, accusation that always comes my way. But the first ever live game I witnessed at Ewood Park was our 7-1 victory over oh. Norwich City, um, which start. was in the 92-93 season. It actually led me to believe that I was watching the reincarnation of Brazil uh, from 1970s. Uh, it's never got any better than that, but um, it, even though I was quite young, obviously I still vividly remember it. Mikey, I uh, also was accused of being a glory hunter in the mid-90s, but, but because it was, that was very much the case, uh, I yes. did support Blackburn Rovers for a couple of years at the, at the, the birth of my footballing uh, career as a supporter, if you like. Um, and I, I always pride myself on being able to remember the team that won the Premier League, because many people or under the misapprehension that David Batty partnered Tim Sherwood to the title in central midfield that season and he didn't he hardly played at all that season What the, and one of the people that gets criminally misremembered is Mark Atkins who scored a number of crucial goals that season 
Tell us what you remember about him. Um, you got five seconds. Being... <laughs> Time's up. Go on. Right, so I remember. I remember him basically being the most underrated player I can remember in Blackburn history. He was even when we bought him, he just sounded like a very turgid, you know, sort of mid-tableish type signing, and you know, nothing particularly creative about him. But it was just a real driving force in there. And for the amount of money we spent on him, I can't remember the figure anymore. But it was just one of the biggest bargains I can remember. And quickly to finish, I'm pretty sure we all know what your best moment was um, winning the Premier League. What was the worst moment, or what's the worst moment been? You've had a few of those as well. Uh, yeah, I think probably the worst one uh, is oh, it's a pretty recent one, really. But obviously, our relegation a couple of years back was Steve Keane in charge. There isn't. <laughs> There wasn't one redeeming feature of that particular season and we deserve to get relegated, which, to be honest, made it all the worse. Mike, your two minutes is up. Thank you very much. Oh, no problem. Thanks very much, guys. My club in 125 seconds. We are going up. We've got the Football League covered. Right, so we'll have another My Club along next week and uh, as we are doing it to celebrate the 125th anniversary of the Football League, Adam uh, you have been up to the National Football Museum at Herbis in Manchester recently and you've seen the big exhibition that's, that's, right. uh, that's uh, on there. Worth going to? Very much so. I was up there um, a few weeks ago and um, was fortunate enough to have a few hours to spare so um, um, went on down to the the National Football Museum and uh, on one of the floors there at the moment until the end of this season is a fantastic exhibition as you say celebrating 125 years of the Football League there are exhibits there from each of the 72 clubs in the league including signed shirts from all of the squads from this season I mean I found myself killing three hours there without even trying fantastic place to go and the good thing about it is it's free admission but of course they willfully accept any donations and it is 100% worth it there you go Sounded like a proper radio ad, that didn't it? <laughs> um, right, let's um, let's start in the FA Cup before we get onto the football league. Um, quick, sort of uh, thirty seconds on this because we have obviously talked about the, the game there for quite a long time. But from a Forest perspective, what a chance that was to get to Wembley, and they've completely blown it. How, how do you go sixteen games of beating in the Championship and then collapse? Billy Davis called it a complete self destruction in that second half. I don't think they'll be. Mass. I mean, they'd be disappointed that they didn't close the game out at 1-0 and they had chances to uh, to extend their lead as well. But I think in the grand scheme of things, uh, they probably won't be too disappointed with that. They're in a very good position still. In the top six and in the run-in, you know, top two isn't completely out of the equation for two or three sides in that playoff picture at the moment. So, yeah, there'll be some disappointment that they didn't progress, obviously, to the last eight with a favourable draw. But I think they'll um, they'll cast their minds quite quickly back to the job in hand in the championship. Blame Topo. Topo tweeted at half time. He said, "We'll never have a better chance." I think they were perhaps they could feel hard done by as well with the penalty. Then mm. it was so close. Yeah, you know, I don't know whether that was a nailed on penalty. Uh, in my opinion, um, but yeah, they, they will get over it. I'm sure with, with the league campaign and and all that that could promise to bring at the end of the season. But like I was saying earlier on uh, to Ian. You know the moments to, to play at Wembley and to achieve mm. glory in, in in a cup competition are few and far between, and that is a missed opportunity. Well, we're actually recording this a little bit earlier on Monday, so uh, the game between Brighton and Hull hasn't even kicked off yet. So we don't actually know at the time of recording this whether Brighton will be in the quarterfinal. They may well be up against Gus Poirier at home, or it might be Hull against Sunderland. We don't know. Uh, the one football league side um, apart from uh, that Sheffield United we know are definitely through um, are. Wigan. Wigan, sorry, completely <laughs> slipped my mind. Won the bloody thing last season. 2 uh, 1 victory at Cardiff, and Ben Watson loves the FA Cup, doesn't he? What a goal. Yeah, great strike. Um, what struck me, though, most about that game is the 
terrible crowd that was at that match. Um, I know Cardiff have obviously got a relegation battle on their hands towards the end of the Premier League season, but you know Wigan have done a fantastic job so far defending the trophy. I don't think many people would have really predicted them going this far in the competition, and yet they've got City away, obviously in the quarterfinals, <laughs> which um, yeah is um, going to be a bit of a tough ask. But you know, great um, game for Ivan team- Rosler though, yeah. going back to his old oh, club. They've done it once and they do it again. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, didn't they lose 5 0 at City in the League Cup this season? So, mm, yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, um, so yeah, so we'll talk more about the FA Cup quarterfinals nearer the quarterfinal date, which I think is the 8th and 9th of next month. Right. Into the Championship then. Uh, Leicester didn't play the weekend. Burnley did. They drew well, one all at Bournemouth. Uh, not their best performance. They had one at Bolton in midweek, though, so they continue to push on. Let's talk a bit about QPR, though, because QPR lost 3 1 at home to Reading on Sunday, the game in which Gareth McCleary scored that absolutely wonder goal. And, uh, QPR have lost a little bit of ground in the last couple of weeks. One point from the last nine. Uh, they have got a game in hand, but they're four points off second now. And uh, that injury to Charlie Austin perhaps has had more of an impact than you would have thought, maybe. Yeah, um, I mean, Kevin Doyle scored again in that game on Sunday uh, and didn't seem to be too bothered about celebrating it against uh, one of his former clubs. But, you know, from a Reading perspective, that was a very, very impressive performance. Five wins in seven. Indeed. And they are really starting to click now. Played the same team in all seven games as well, which has got to have helped. That's right. Although they have to make a change for their next game because Kasper's Gork picked up a red card towards the end <laughs> there and looks likely to... Uh, probably be suspended for two or three games. He didn't mind games. celebrating against his old club, did he? <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. But um, do you know what? They they are clicking at the right time, Reading. And, and it really shows the fact that they've had some continuity in that team. You mentioned that they haven't changed it for several games, but also they haven't changed personnel too dramatically after getting relegated last season. It's really only sort of the likes of Adrian Mariapa and Jimmy Kebe that they've lost after getting relegated. And Jimmy Kebe was a bit of a divisive figure with Reading fans it has to be said so I don't think there was too much love lost there but they've really kept together a fantastic nucleus and you know what they're not writing off finishing in a top two either what about uh, QPR though Dave what, what are you thinking I mean they've actually got the worst goal difference out of all the top six there um, goal difference wise then uh, let me wait, so nine behind Burnley and 11 behind Leicester so lack of goals is a bit of a problem it certainly is uh, I guess it has been all season I mean they've been very strong at home all season um, I think it's only their second loss at home all, all, all season but the away form hasn't been great and I think they've got three or four away games coming up in quite short succession which would be a concern for, for Redknapp and QPR fans but the, the thing is they shouldn't be worrying you know that they might not get in the top two they should be you know really should be right up there because and obviously they still can and, and still have a good, really good chance of going up in the top two but the, the doubt that's creeping in now you know look at the money they've, they've spent on wages for that, for that squad and the players that they retained in the summer look at the players that they went out and bought on transfer deadline day they're by far the most expensively assembled squad in, in the division so anything other than automatic promotion it, it is a failure for, for, for QPR and Harry Redknapp make no um, bones about it but one thing which perhaps tells you you know, a lot about their current situation is the impending loan... Whose stomach's that, by the way? Is that yours? Might be me. Sorry. <laughs> the impending, Make an important point. The impending Sorry. loan move of, of Ravel Morrison from West Ham, which would be a real coup because mm. uh, he's a player that has impressed in the Premier League this season. People were talking about England, you know, potentially going to the World Cup at one point with him. But they're believed to be stalling the deal at the moment to ensure that if he signs, he can stay until the playoff final. Because if he signed, I think like today, ah. his loan would just the ninety-three yeah. day, day maximum Good planning, term I suppose. Would, 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 would expire just before the player final. If not I something suppose, to yeah, inspire confidence, it's, it's but a, there's a bit of contingency there. But exactly, it shows you that the the mood might have changed a little hmm. bit in in recent weeks. 
Down at the uh, the bottom of the championship at the weekend, uh, Millwall won, Bolton won. One win in seven games for uh, Ian Holloway. Not had the best start at Millwall. Um, he wasn't impressed with Bolton either. Said that they were boring. Um, and uh, well, you've you've picked up on something else from this game, Adam. Oh, it's 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 something that's been grating with me for several weeks, and and a lot of other. Um, fellow Ipswich fans actually I talked to on Twitter it's the unnecessary wearing of away kits by teams mm. why do they do it Bolton well, are probably the, the number one culprit for this <laughs> as well they've been wearing that orange monstrosity of theirs against teams that clearly do not clash with their white they were wearing it against Ipswich the other week a team in blue and again on Saturday they go to a team another team in a darker shade of blue and they're wearing it again why? why? Did you see uh, Everton Swansea in the FA Cup? Yeah, Swansea again another unnecessary wearing purple they're playing white normally Bizarre. But anyway, yeah, Millwall are uh, four points above the relegation zone. The teams in the relegation zone are Yeovil um, on 21, Barnsley on 23 and Charlton on 24. Obviously, with all the postponements, the games are coming so uh, thick and fast at the moment. Uh, but next Tuesday, there is a potentially huge game at the bottom of the championship, which is Charlton Athletic against Barnsley at the Valley and... We're going to go. We are going to go. So next week, this show is going to be on the road. It's going to be out on Wednesday because we're heading on down to uh, to Charlton to watch uh, Charlton against Barnsley. So if you are a fan of Charlton or Barnsley and you're going to the game, please do tweet us, get in touch. We'll come speak to you beforehand, uh, especially on a buy a drink little thing. Um, we'll also <laughs> hopefully speak to some Barnsley fans from my club as well. So the whole show will be out next Wednesday, next week, because we're going to a crunch game down at the bottom of the championship between Charlton and Barnsley. Let's move on into League One then. We have to talk about, well, first of or your first point about the Brentford game before we get onto the goals. I can't repeat the words that I, that I used to describe the goals when I first no, saw no, them. No, no, before the goals. Before the something, goals. something happened before the game. Something well, was the on the... Oh, the dog. <laughs> Bloody, I can understand. I can see how a squirrel might sneak its way into a football match. I can see how a pigeon could fly down and, and, and have a little walk up and down the line. How has a husky got in the ground and got onto the bloody pitch? How has that happened? I have no idea. He had a good run around as well, he though, did. didn't he, for about three or four laps. There was no attempt to, to, to you know, uphold the, the dog <laughs> no. and remove him from the pitch immediately. You know what, we need David Nugent there. That's who we needed. Thoroughly unconcerned about his lifetime ban that he'll now be receiving. <laughs> <laughs> what about the game then? Um, crew one, Brentford three. The goals, I mean, the standard of those goals just sums up the standard of Brentford's football at the moment. Because uh, it's four months since they've lost. 19 games unbeaten. 11 wins and, th- and three draws in 14 for Mark Warburton. And, uh, I mean, Alan Judge is always been called the Irish Messi but you see why with uh, those two goals unbelievable superb strikes uh, every, every one of them four shores was, was no worse than, than will the you see three better goals in one game from one team this season I probably not it. though I mean they look they look very very impressive don't they with every game that that, that goes by now they, they just seem to find this extra a level to keep themselves ahead of the chasing pack and um, well I hope we don't jinx them well, they'll, well, they've got Wolves re- they've got Wolves next next weekend yeah well it's a massive game but I will return you to the, the point I made last week when we were talking about uh, Danny Drinkwater's goal for Leicester great finish as were these goals but any danger of a crew player trying to <laughs> shut them down they had quite a lot of time on all three of them to, to pick their spots and they did it very well but it's a lot more it's a lot more difficult to do so when you've got a, a defender running at you to try and shut the space you're a hard man to please aren't you um, Leighton Orient Preston third against fourth that was one all at Deepdale uh, Orient though had a little bit of a wobble haven't they um, they've lost a few games at home recently which they weren't doing at the start of the season but they're still three points off so uh, all it's not a bad point really away no, at Preston given no, the day given the yeah, day as well you think absolutely. it might have overcome you know uh, maybe Preston would have seized their kind of 
uh, moment given the the occasion with marking Tom Finney's death and you know they, they got the goal that mm. went in front they'll be disappointed to give away the penalty and, and probably should have won that actually if you look at the uh, look at the thing but in balance I think a point isn't bad for him down at the bottom of the league one there's an interesting story breaking on Monday as we record this about Ronnie Moore the uh, manager of Tranmere and I've been sort of uh, where wittering away sorting stuff on this side of the desk and you've just spotted this story it's just broken tell us a bit more about this yeah Ronnie Moore's been suspended by Tranmere pending the conclusion of, a, of an FA investigation into a potential breach of betting rules. Uh, it is understood the allegation relates to regulations which prevent him from betting on any competition in which his club is involved. Uh, the FA have neither confirmed nor denied that Moore was the subject of an, investi- of an investigation by its uh, integrity unit. So we'll, we'll have to mm. wait and see the outcome of that. But obviously he's suspended at the moment. John McMahon, the assistant, is in charge temporarily. But that's not a good situation for Tranmere to be in. And that'll be a story which uh, develops more as the week goes on. So we probably shouldn't say too they're much only more. Two, they're only two points above the relegation zone, so it's yeah, a bad time. Jason Kumas, by the way, back there, scoring absolutely still blinder. playing as well. I couldn't believe that. <laughs> scored uh, a blinder on Saturday. Absolutely cracking goal, but I couldn't believe he's still playing. Um, so uh, Stevenage, bottom of the table. They lost at the weekend to uh, Rotherham and it's a big big win for Rotherham that because Stevenage got the equaliser in the 86th minute mm. and then Lee Frecklington managed to get a winner for Rotherham it's got quite a lot of late goals at home recently Rotherham which is, which is a really important victory for them they're right up there uh, Sheffield United obviously down there as we talked about at length Notts County and one team I wanted to mention just to point up at the relegation zone a Crawley Town now They've not necessarily had a bad season. They've only played 25 games. And just to put that into context, the teams around them, uh, Crewe and Tranmere have played 31. Notts County and Bristol City have played 32. They've got seven games in hand. And if you consider where we are, uh, this is uh, well the 17th of February as we record this. So we're only probably around about, I don't know, 10, 11 weeks from the end of the season, which ends at the start of May. That's a hell of a lot of games to be playing. They're going to be playing Saturday, Tuesday for the rest of the season. Oh, yeah. Did you did you see what they did at the ground there? This was this went quite wide on Twitter. This picture, but when the game was postponed, uh, in a nod to the popular um, iPhone game Flappy, oh, this Bird, is Flappy Bird, yeah, they uh, they put the game over graphic on their scoreboard to say that it was postponed. And um, we should say uh, Cody McDonald, who plays for Gillingham, um, we missed this last week when he scored the equaliser at Carlisle. He did a Flappy Bird celebration. I don't know if you, you spotted that. It's on it's on YouTube. It's got I loads of hits. I can get Flappy Bird because the bloke's deleted it, isn't he? <laughs> I got oh, it the day before he did it that. It became too much for him, yeah. I oh, know. <laughs> uh, League Two, um, talking about having games postponed, Newport County were just uh, beneath the playoff uh, positions in League Two and they similarly have been struck by a bout of postponements. It's actually cost them around a quarter of a million quid, I think, of five or six games off in a row. Six home. of their last seven home games have been yeah. postponed, which is ridiculous. I mean, it, the weather has been terrible. Nothing anyone can do about the weather, but I mean that shouldn't be happening. No. Even at League Two level, I mean, they, 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 share, their, they share their ground with the rugby club. They've been in contact with the FA, I don't know about this, in terms of a fine or like the FA have sort of spoke yeah, to them and about it. And it doesn't look like it's going to end at that anytime soon. We could still have some more bad weather for the rest of February. So this could be a real problem. You, you mentioned we've got 10, 11 weeks to go. If you get to the end of February and you've got, what, eight, nine, ten games to catch up, this doesn't take too long before you know there starts literally not being enough time to fit them all in you know without playing three games in space of like five days well, at a time. It's an ongoing problem as well though because when they finished the conference season last year to to eventually get promoted, they they went for a similar pattern of fixture congestion from about this time onwards where they were <laughs> Your playing stomach, sorry, mate. three games a week. Um, so you know it's not it's not a new problem, uh, which is slightly concerning. But uh, you know you wouldn't want to be. Um, well, I mean we're a barrier in the similar, but we've not played hardly recently. It's all we had another game called off at the weekend. It's following us round wherever well, we go. Croft has, has said that he he's basically calling for the football league 
to extend the season oh, you know, longer in, into May because okay. he, he said he thinks you know we're going to have this this problem every year basically he said last year February was a nightmare and it's the same this year for us and other teams we, we, you know, we don't have the finances to have you know, the pitches that can cope yeah. with this sort of weather well, I think so they're going to need to do something about it our last three games have been off we're going to try again at Accrington tomorrow but night they can't do it because I mean, you know, to do that then it means you've got to move the playoff final yep. you, you no. know, and it's a nightmare it's, difficult. it's a I nightmare think, I don't think they're going to do anything about it I can't see how they can uh, top of league two Chesterfield won at the weekend uh, 3-1 against Torquay Scunfort came back from two down to win at Accrington 3-2 Oxford also won Rochdale Fleet in fact the whole of the top five won uh, Southend uh, lost and Burton Drew there's still a bit of a gap below the playoffs uh, down at the bottom we should uh, talk about, um, mention York anyway now in the top half and we're 4-0 at Plymouth for the weekend which was yeah. a great result uh, down at the bottom uh, Northampton won that massive game at Torquay in midweek last week that we talked about and then went and lost at Fleetwood but at least they've pulled themselves a little bit closer uh, to the teams above them um, and Torquay as I mentioned lost at the weekend and yeah there's been, just been so many games off that you can't really everyone's played you know, such a wide variety of, of fixtures you can't really take a, a look at where we're, we're heading in terms of a final outcome exactly. down at the bottom. You look at Newport and York. You know, York, a team who have been in the relegation battle for, for most of the season, picked up a couple of results lately. Newport, as you said, so right York on the, road to the playoffs. They're York now tenth and eleventh. They've yeah. got the same amount of points, but there's a five-game difference between the amount of games they've played. Ludicrous. Uh, right, that is uh, pretty much it, I think, for this week's show. Uh, thank you very much to, for listening, and thank you to Adam for surviving the floods and uh, coming on down. Uh, I'm off to AFC Wimbledon against Berry on Saturday, oh, yeah. so I will hopefully. Uh, have a, a little bit of a report on that That'd next week. Cherry Red Record when you're there, Stadium, yeah. is it? Try and have a word with some of the away fan, uh, the home fans, All rather. Right. Um, find out about what's going on with the Plough Lane thing, because the, uh, from what I've read very briefly, I think there's a dispute over the dog track. All right, people there, they want to keep have that it. on the pitch. They, they want to keep it, whereas I think <laughs> the new stand the would, would, yeah, would, would maybe get rid of it. So I think there's a bit of a conflict there, which could stall, uh, you know, the the efforts to get Wimbledon back to Plough Lane. Find, uh, find out more because obviously okay. I don't know that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so I'll talk about that next week. Uh, also, we'll know who the Johnson Paint Trophy final is going to be by this time next week. Because got the semi-final second legs of that this week. We could have a repeat of the Chesterfield Swindon well, final. It is going to be Swindon, isn't ago. it? Do you know why? Why? Well, you know, Carl, Carl obviously not with us tonight, but um, we. He's still alive, by got, the way. Uh, <laughs> He's not with us. Yeah, we've got our uni- a big university reunion mm. uh, up in in Nottingham. Uh, the weekend of the Johnson Paint Trophy final. We are. It's a logistic nightmare for him. Mm. Pr- probably more more of a nightmare than the FA have got trying to rearrange all these games <laughs> to get from Nottingham to Wembley oh, jump on a with that hangover. Not that with that hangover. <laughs> um, so, uh, yes, yeah, so we'll know that uh, by next week and uh, we will be live. Well, not live. It's on tape, obviously. But uh, we will be Recorded as live, live as live um, at the uh, the Valley. Looking forward to going down. Hopefully, we can uh, find out some more about this pitch and maybe do some research. Can we about speak to the what's the guy's name? Paul Glover. Paul Glover. Can we get him? I'm on? sure we will. I'm sure we'll be speaking to Paul Glover on the show. Can we next do like week. A, you know like they do in the cricket when they walk the pitch before and <laughs> take a key into the ground. Can we do that with him? Yeah, let's get Jeffrey Boycott along. Let's do a pitch <laughs> report. And by the way, if that game is called off, which uh, wouldn't, wouldn't surprise you, knowing Charlton, we will be back in the studio. Hopefully, we'll be well, live. I'm not sure about this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna very much press that we just go to a pub and record it. Okay, I'm fair not, enough. I'm not gonna come all the way back here. <laughs> okay. So you, that's I'm, I'm setting my there stall out early. There are some ones around there as well. Yeah. I can testify for that. Okay, good stuff. Right. Well, uh, we're back in seven days' time. If you uh, want to get in touch, uh, the Twitter is at Waggy Podcast. Uh, please rate and review on iTunes as well, and the SoundCloud page is SoundCloud dot com slash waggy podcast thank you Adam pleasure thank you Dave looking forward to my next Fangor and Erickson voicemail no, I'm not, I'm not gonna, I'm, I'm gonna move on okay. move on to a new manager okay we'll be back in seven days time this is the we are going up podcast we've got the football league covered <laughs>
Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.